This is Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy, brought to you by Everything Cowboy. On episode 18, the boys welcome Keenan Vine of the Calgary Stampede. What is your position at the Calgary Stampede? And tell the people what you do. So my position at the Calgary Stampede, I'm the manager for rodeo and chuck wagons. Basically, I manage and oversee the programs for rodeo and chuck wagons during the 10 days of the Calgary Stampede. We also produce, outside of that, multiple rodeos throughout North America. Of course, our bucking horses go up to 55 different events throughout the year. And then we produce rodeos within Canada ourselves and our convention rodeo or corporate rodeo business as well so it's a it's a full slate of activity and of course the calgary stampede we do events and and have guests on park 365 days of the year basically so it's a it's a full-time job for sure what does the average day for you look like during Stampede? I'll usually arrive on park about 6.30, 7 o'clock to catch the chuck wagon practice that's going on in the mornings, check out the track, check out the rodeo infield just to ensure that everything is looking good for the footing. And then we start from there working as soon as the chuck wagon practice is over, working to get the arena set up and the rodeo footing back to where it needs to be for the rodeo. Uh, we start our production meetings in the morning for rodeo and by basically noon we're over getting ready for the rodeo to start rodeo usually finishes around four o'clock in the afternoon and then it's back over to finish everything up from the rodeo production meeting for truck wagons chuck wagons and hopefully barring no uh, major incidents or anything during the truck wagons or any kind of reviews that we need to do for the truck wagons we Head out by around 11, 11.30 every day. So it's pretty busy. 10 days for us. Dang. And what about a regular day for you, not stampede time? Um, not stampede time. So like I said, we have convention rodeos that we are usually in the process of organizing. And of course, they're not as involved as producing a regular rodeo. But just like any other event, there's there's a multitude of different facets that go into a convention rodeo and different programming. And then we also produce 4-H rodeo in the fall. We do Aggie Days Rodeo, which is an educational rodeo for kids uh, grades 1 to 3. And it's also our big Ag Education Week we put about uh, 50,000 people through Stampede Park during Aggie Days, so that's a big event that we plan. And and then, of course, for our truck wagons, in the spring we have our truck wagon tarp auction, and, and Ted, you've been to that event in Wacy, so as you know, that in itself is a, is a major event with uh, over 1,000 people at it. So just events like that that we're kind of always planning for, getting ready for, and then it's in the process of doing a lot of administration and planning for the next year. And Stampede is not the kind of organization that plans a month out or three months out. Our planning goes into every Stampede. I mean, we have five-year plans and 10-year plans for our organization, but we wouldn't be planning an event probably any less than a year to two years in advance. I want to know about all the trips you've been on lately. Not all the trips, but I mean, you were in Salt Lake the other day and you were in Reno before, just before Stampede. You've been to Houston a num number of times, San Antonio. Talk about what you're doing on those trips and what those look like. Yeah, so they're all a little bit different depending on where I'm going. I was able to, fortunate enough to get to go to Salt Lake City last week. It's kind of a crazy turn 
turnaround two days after our event is over and head to Salt Lake. And I was down there helping Tommy Joe Lucia, the general manager, transition into using, they were using all the Calgary Stampedes rules. So the ground rules that we have that are different than your regular rodeo. So our tie-down roping rules and the way that we score the rough stock and, and some of our other timing timing rules and, and production kind of rules that we would have based on the fact that we're on live television and then of course producing television shows and so Salt Lake City being a million dollar added rodeo and and a highly produced rodeo themselves now they just were looking for a little bit of help in that regard and so I got to go down there and help them with that and some of their production elements and and uh you know their rodeo we would consider them rodeo partners of ours just like houston and san antonio and some of the other bigger rodeos so we do go back and forth between the rodeos and you know we share ideas and we help each other out and it's good just to get out there in the marketplace and see what's going on and for myself i love going to these other rodeos and whether it's here or saint t quebec or armstrong bc and seeing what they're doing and seeing you know some of the different things that they do that maybe we can incorporate into our event or what might be appealing to some of the things that we're doing at the stampede i want to ask you first about the association of rodeo committees how does that all work and what are those meetings like so the association of rodeo committees was formed originally by of course rodeo committees and i would consider it almost like the uh, owners association of rodeo and so it's where the rodeo committees and rodeo administration staff like myself will come together and and share ideas and help each other to see all of the big picture things that we should and could be doing for rodeo. And we have a conference once a year for the Association of Rodeo Committees and it moves around. And like you mentioned, I was in Reno, Nevada for it this year. And so when we get together, it's a good opportunity for us to bring in some keynote speakers, some experts in marketing and sponsorship and ticket sales and you know, different areas like that. But then we also talk a lot about, you know, youth development, sustainability, sustainability for rodeo committees themselves and succession planning and all that kind of stuff. So it's important work to be able to get those committees together and especially like-minded committees that are looking to improve and and do better and, and not just do better for, you know, I think a lot of times when the associations or rodeos themselves or whoever it might be talk about the members or talk about what they should do, they always are looking at the contestants and that is a good thing, but what drives the money for the contestants is the guests that sit in the stands and the sponsors. And so that's a big focus for us is how do we retain those people? How do we get them back every year? And then how do we start building and, and creating a new product that will be appealing to the next generation of, of rodeo guests? Speaking of that, let's talk about the production in Calgary, what it was when you got there and what it is today. Uh, the rodeo production, I mean, there's there's elements that we have changed and evolved over the last few years, of course. I mean, the rodeo itself uh, is still the same format, which is, to me, one of my favorite formats is the, uh, the pool system and then the wild card and, of course, Showdown Sunday, which is probably one of my favorite rodeos to to watch and most exciting. But, you know, the rodeo, in in my opinion, is needing to or 
has to evolve just in general and and what it's evolving for is for the people that are sitting in the bleachers the people that are paying to come and watch and so that's how our rodeo i would say has changed just you're not going to change rodeo at the elite level as far as competition we try to bring in the best competitors and the best rodeo stock from across north america so that's always going to or hopefully going to be the best product we can put in front of our fans and our guests but the little things that you can improve upon and the timing and the uh, transitions and the content that goes up on the screens and the delivery from the announcers or the you know the rodeo entertainer and those types of elements is what they see and how can we engage them and and have them feel like they're a part of something rather than just coming to watch this event unfold i've got to say in the last few years since you've been involved that it has changed as far as production wise. I think it's a tighter show. Like it's it's not. I don't want to say it's not as long, but the timing has tightened up a little bit. The entertainment value, I think, has gone up. Definitely. What can you attribute to those changes and what it's looking like now? Oh yeah, I think you know. I mean, it's a team effort, and and our rodeo committee and all of our people that are involved, our production. I mean, we have some of the most talented production people as far as uh, programming and television that probably are within the industry period. Cindy Gillies has worked the Olympics. She's worked all over in television. And so utilizing the people uh, where they're best suited for and, you know, coming together as a collective whole to come up with some really good, strong new ideas of how we can change the show, make it more efficient and make it more appealing to not just rodeo fans, but for people that are our guests that maybe have never even been to a rodeo won't understand what's going on. And a lot of that, I mean, comes down to even the competition, like the three second rule and the tie down roping is one that's a really, uh, you know, simple change from what it is at your regular rodeo that you would go to. But at the end of the day, it takes 12 seconds off of every run in the tie-down roping, which is a huge number when you're looking at the time that it takes to run the event and what the guests are actually watching and what they're seeing happen, right? Very true. Another change, maybe not a change, but addition was bringing Brinson in, and you would have seen him first in St. T. Quebec. Yeah, Brinson, uh, Brinson was great this year. That was It was awesome to have him, and Brinson brings uh, you know, a whole different level of uh, energy, and I would say you know he's youthful and and people just are drawn to him so I seen Brinson a few years ago when we were out in St. Tite and he didn't have a microphone and he just dances and interacts with the crowd and uh, is very engaging and so you know the plan was kind of set in place for the last number of years to try to figure out what we can do and when you go to different events like you know Calgary Roughnecks game or a hockey game or you know, whatever it might be, they have a hype team or hype people or people that are trying to draw the energy out of the crowd. And so that was kind of our idea for Brinson. And I thought he did an awesome job this year. He was a really great addition to our show. What can we expect in the next few years as far as more additions? I mean, another thing that was added for the chuck wagon races were the Indian relay races the last two years now. And this year, the side saddle, ladies side saddle race. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's always, there's always an opportunity to look at adding something new. It's great to add something. We'll say like the side saddle race, it's traditional. So it brings a lot of our Western heritage alive in front of people that come from all over the world. And that's exactly what they come to the Calgary Stampede to see. Uh, Also a group of local ladies that were participating. So it's also great to have that local content and 
and of course having female content as well and and interjecting that into a primarily male dominated sport like chuck wagon racing and so it's nice to have that contrast and and the same with the relay racing it's just something that people don't see uh, uh, really anywhere unless they specifically go searching it out so it's pretty cool to be able to bring such a traditional uh, and unique event to stampede and i think it whether it's in the rodeo or the chuck wagons you're going to be seeing those types of events whether it's it's a contract or it's a you know i mean it it might just be a different production element that isn't necessarily traditional rodeo or chuck wagon content but something that we can work into the show and and enhance the experience for our guests you mentioned local and that's one thing that comes up every year on Facebook or whatever it is, the comments on people saying there's not enough Canadian contestants. Why don't you speak to the selection process and how that all works? Yeah, so the selection process is a little bit different from event to event. Of course, our barrel racing um, is an approved event with the Women's Professional Rodeo Association. So there are are qualifications, just like there are in the other events, but the qualified contestants come from the WPRA World Standings, the CPRA Canadian Standings, and then the WPRA Tour, which was created to give an opportunity to some of those contestants that wouldn't be necessarily traveling trying to make the NFR, but can hit some of their local rodeos, WPRA rodeos, and get qualified and qualify for rodeos like San Antonio, like Houston, and like the Calgary Stampede. So it's a great opportunity for them. And so that's the process there. It's the same with the other events. Is It's an invitation. Of course, we reserve the right to invite uh, whichever competitors uh, that we feel are suited best suited for the Calgary Stampede, but we do look at and base our invitations off of the world standings, the Canadian standings, and then, of course, in the bull riding, the PBR world standings, the top 10 from the PBR world standings. So, you know, and I mean, uh, that would be an observation that there are less Canadians involved in the Calgary Stampede as competitors. Uh, I mean, yes, some years there are less, or there's some years there are more, Unfortunately, the standings, the way that we take them from, say, the CPRA, they do allow for non-residents to compete in the CPRA and make it to the Canadian finals and therefore possibly be in the top five uh, competitors that we are taking from the CPRA. So maybe there are less Canadians that are coming from those standings, uh, but we don't have a lot of say in, in who those competitors are at the end of the day. And the same with the world standings. I mean, you know, some years there's more Canadians competing on a world stage and some years there's less. So that's, you know, kind of how it all shakes out in the wash. And of course, we do still try to incorporate our local cowboys and, and what we feel is very important to our event and to rodeo in general with our youth events and the novice and the and the junior steer riding. Um, and then, of course, that gives us a, a, a major interjection of local content and and we're always proud to showcase those kids at our rodeo every day during the stampede you guys would be one of the only major rodeos anywhere that would have those novice events for that age group i know cheyenne had some like mini buck bronc riding the other day and maybe some rookie bronc riding but yep. houston doesn't have much youth for rodeo events san antonio would have wouldn't have any no the other rodeos don't have the junior or novice events fort worth actually introduced junior steer riding a couple of years ago and again this is just great work that 
that's been done by all of our rodeos coming together and talking about these sorts of things and what's important to rodeo. And so that's one thing that I think a lot of the major rodeos are realizing that without all of us pulling in the same direction on the youth development front, that we're not going to have those rough stock riders for our big rodeos. We can't just sit and wait and watch for other people to, to do that for us and develop those contestants. And so there is talk from rodeos like Houston and, and of course Cheyenne did have some junior bareback riding this year. And so there's some larger rodeos and some bigger events that are starting to look in that direction because it's important and, and they're starting to see that. So like I say, that's very important to us. And, and you know, that's another event that when you look at the production, there's a lot of mixed reviews on whether or not to incorporate those events into an event that, like ours, that's on television, that's live, that has time deadlines. Um, so we have revamped it. I mean, the horses that we bring are not young horses. They're older horses. They're experienced. They come into the chutes. They stand there properly. They leave the arena after they buck. They buck you know, in a way that we know they're going to buck for the kids. And so it helps the kids ride better and, and come in with more confidence. And so the whole event has sped up dramatically and we have actually moved the event for as long as I can remember the rodeo started with the novice events. And so this year we moved it to right before intermission. And I think that made a huge difference. Uh, the impact on our crowd to start an event, like start the event with bareback riding and, and see some 90 point rides right off the get go is great, but it also gets our rodeo into a bit of a flow before we have the novice events and and then they just were you know as smooth as could be this year so it was it was great and that's the same with the cow riding is you know we bring in cows that have been around and are going to stand in the chutes and leave the arena and and uh as long as the the cows are safe for the kids and good then it's a successful event i want to ask you about the major challenges that rodeo is facing and what do you think needs to be done well i think there's when we talk about this there's two major challenges that come to mind i mean i think every sport every industry has challenges and goes through ebbs and flows as you know things change and and out with the old and in with the new and rodeo is a very uh, I would say traditional sport but for the most part with the changing of the guard at a lot of these different events and within the associations rodeo is doing its best I think in what it can to to keep up with the times and and to make those changes but there's two things I think that will be most damaging and people talk a lot about you know whether rodeo is marketed properly and these different types of things and I don't necessarily jump on board with that as being the major problems i would say a lack of rough stock contestants uh, for sustainability of the sport is number one and animal care so the use of animals within the sport will be number two those will be our two major uh, fronts that we will be uh, challenged on in the next five or ten years what do you think are the potential solutions to those issues well, I think, again, a concerted effort in the development of rough stock contestants is what we need to do. So we're all kind of doing our own thing in a little bit of a way. So the Calgary Stampede ourselves, we, you know, our rodeo committee has initiatives that they're involved in, youth rodeo, small spurs rodeo, uh, little britches rodeo, um, high school rodeo. We, we do put funds and resources towards those events and in an effort to develop rodeo, but especially the rough stock competitors. And then, of course, our novice events um, and the novice tour is what we do uh, and pay for 
for the competitors entry fees and bring novice roughstock uh, animals to rodeos at no charge to the committees and those types of things is what we're trying to do but we're only one you know organization and and so if everybody is not pulling in the same direction or has an idea of what that is supposed to look like uh, you know it's it's pretty tough to get anywhere with that so you see some of these sports like soccer and hockey and they are putting major funding into developing young players and they're putting major funding into marketing to youth and soccer is the fastest growing sport in the world but they're also pumping out thousands and thousands of kids through junior junior soccer programs and talking with uh, Dallas FC when we were at a conference down there and uh, they put thousands of kids through their junior soccer program themselves so a professional sports organization has their own program for six-year-olds and so to me that's the difference between what we're doing in rodeo compared to other sports and the professional organizations are not making that effort and that concerted effort to ensure sustainability for the future of our rough stock events. And I mean, there's a lot of factors that have factored into why, why wouldn't a kid want to ride a bareback horse and, you know, or a bull. And, and there's lots of things like the, it's the same with football and hockey. And, you know, um, now there's no hit hockey leagues and things like that because they're making adjustments to accommodate for the awareness for head injuries and, and, uh, brain traumas. Uh, whereas in bull riding, bareback riding, saddle bronc riding, it's pretty tough to avoid that. So the only way to avoid it is to not do it. And I'm not saying that that's not, you know, right, but what are we doing to adjust our, our sport to make sure that we can have a successful and, and sustainable event in the future? And I think there's lots of different things that we, we can be doing. And again, it's slowly but surely going in that direction, but we all have to be rowing the boat. What do you think about bringing all these different associations together? Like, is that going to happen at any point? Like, the PRCA is starting to get more rodeos kind of under their sanctioning body kind of thing, but they still don't really produce rodeos on their own. Like, I think with Calgary, you guys have a handle on the entire product, and you can have these youth programs. You can produce your own rodeo. You're televised nationally. I'm just wondering what that what that looks like and what the future might look like. What What's going to happen? Like, what do you see happening that way? Well, I think it would be pretty tough for one association to be the producer of all events. I mean, if you look at the PRCA, and whether it's right or whether it's wrong, they have up to 600 and some rodeos a year under their flagship. But that's a lot of rodeos for one organization to produce or to produce well. And then the difference between rodeo and we'll even say bull riding is you got to look at rodeo is it's kind of like having six or seven sports under one venue at the same time. And each different event has their own uniqueness and their own intricacies that they prefer and that they operate by. And just because the bareback riders like it one way doesn't necessarily mean the steer wrestlers like it that way as well. So it's hard to fit, you know, all of that into one uniformed and uh, the same streamlined design. But I would say that, again, and this goes along with sustainability and, and development, there is no reason why the pro rodeo associations or an association, I'll say, could not run all of the rodeos and start from the ground up and have it all under one roof. And so it's a central entry system from the time you start entering amateur rodeos and all the way up. And so there's kind of a development program and, and different programs and um, leagues or linkages between them. So when a kid enters a rodeo and looks like they might 
be a talented prospect for rodeo we know that when they're six or seven years old already uh, or 10 or 12 entering the steer riding on up to the time when they're entering or competing in tie down roping or saddle bronc riding or whatever their event might be and the only way to do that is to to have everybody under the same roof from the start and so i don't see why they couldn't do it i mean why couldn't the cpra have their own uh amateur and semi-professional rodeos and start from the ground up. There's there's no reason why they couldn't do it, right? I mean, sanctioning is sanctioning. One year, rodeo might be sanctioned by the CCA, and the next year it might be sanctioned by the FCA. So there's no reason why it couldn't be sanctioned by one association. And, you know, you can have your own separate finals, and they're already kind of doing that. I mean, the, the PRCA has circuit finals and the All-American finals, and there's all these different tiers. They're just not calling them tiers, and they're not putting proper separation in between the brands like you know like golf where you have a web.com tour and you have a european tour you have an asian tour and people know there's a difference between if you go to watch the fedex cup events or if you go to watch a web.com or a canadian pga event so i think there's just that uniform design and we'll call it a tier needs to look like a pyramid right so the higher you go the smaller the pool of competitors becomes and the smaller the pool of rodeos becomes but the brand should not be whitewashed across the same uh, for everybody i don't think that goes back to what you said before about everybody pulling the same direction too though like it just it's a matter of getting everybody on board to go the same way and wanting to do seeing the big picture of it all yeah definitely head in the same head in the same direction but i think that's kind of what we're missing with rodeo and whatever it is right now yeah, and I think every association is well-intended in, in, in what they're doing, and there's no, I mean, as far as I can see right now, there's not that talk going on like, oh, everybody's going to amalgamate into one, and everybody's got some good things that they're doing. So, you know, there's no maybe right or wrong way to do it. I think communication, like Ted said before, maybe that's where we start, and why why wouldn't the rodeos be talking more and coming together like the association of rodeo committees but in canada at least maybe all the rodeo associations amateur and professional get together once a year and just talk about their global issues and global opportunities how would we do something like that how would that come about yeah i mean i think it's as simple as just having a meeting somewhere and and whether that's during the canadian finals rodeo or some other time and and just trying to get the stakeholders all in the same room and and have uh, a you know i mean you can call it a symposium you can call it a a conference whatever you want to call it but i mean essentially it's just a a meeting between like-minded stakeholders and have an agenda that again i think starts with uh, youth development starts with sustainability of our rodeos and and then of course there has to be an element of like i said whether that's marketing sponsorship sales um, recruitment what whatever you want to call it and then for sure 100 percent, we need to be talking in in the same circles about animal care and and what we're doing with our animals and and how we're dealing with all of those different issues wouldn't it make more sense for us to all be under one banner and have less offices and less office space and less staff and be able to roll a bunch of those things in together into one major rodeo canada office that operates one like operates everything it just seems to me like there's a lot of maybe extra out there with all the different associations all different offices like maybe it really makes 
the most sense to come together and be one organization. Yeah, I mean, I think it it does. And and essentially, even if there was a overarching association like Hockey Canada, there's still the Western Hockey League and they have their own administration. There's still the, you know, uh, Hockey Alberta, Hockey Alberta, provincial bodies. Each province. And, And so you still need that admin to ensure that those different areas and zones and whichever they all have some sort of uniqueness to them quebec rodeo does not operate the same way as alberta rodeo as bc rodeo as montana rodeo so i i understand that but i do believe that one overarching governing body or at least an organization that can bring together those associations and and make sure that they're all working in the same direction and that somebody over here is not off doing something really good and nobody else even knows about it. So that's the kind of information that needs to be shared. And whether that's an efficiency with your entry program or how they're getting youth involved in rodeo, or maybe a really good animal care program that somebody has going on, whether that's at just an individual rodeo or across an association, it needs to be shared. And, and best practices, I guess, would be the word that I would use is what we're, what we're lacking. We don't have the best practices all under one roof to say, you know, this is the best practice standard for the industry. And this is what we need to be doing. I want to go back to your career, how you got started. Talk about your dad, your family a little bit, kind of uh, how you got involved. Your brother's also a bullfighter too. I want to talk, uh, go back there and, and then go also into when you started working with the CPRA and then ended up with Calgary. Yeah, my dad was a bull rider, bullfighter, bareback rider. I grew up in rodeo, grew up going to rodeos. My dad was clowning by the time I was old enough to really remember going to the rodeos. And so grew up being a rodeo clown's kid and um, got into rodeo at a pretty young age, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And probably one of the strongest memories for me of growing up in rodeo is uh, my dad actually was the president and uh, was one of the founders of an amateur rodeo, Box Springs Rodeo, down by Medicine Hat. So uh, grew up helping put on that rodeo. And, and so summers were spent, if we weren't at a rodeo, they were spent at the Box Springs Rodeo Grounds, uh, cleaning it up, getting it ready to go and, and, uh, putting on a rodeo there. So, um, you know, I started as a steer rider, of course, and then got into, uh, bullfighting and, and started fighting bulls, uh, when I was about 15 years old. And, you know, had a pretty good career of bullfighting and, and some bull riding. And uh, mainly, you know, I always loved that production side of rodeo. And so I put on, I think, my first bull riding event at Box Springs when I was 15 or 16. And I must have been 15. I had to get my mom to drive me around to hand out flyers to, <laughs> to uh, all over Medicine Hat. You didn't ride your bike? Advertise for it and pro- mostly probably walked, but yeah, so did that, and I think I was the vice president of the Box Springs Rodeo by the time I was 16 or 17 years old and was on that committee down there until I moved away from Medicine Hat. So that's kind of my background in in rodeo. And then after I went to college and, and decided that I should probably make something more of myself than what I thought I was going to just be a bullfighter for the rest of my life and, you know, rich and famous. So I went and asked Jim Pippolo, 
at the time was working for the CPRA as the rodeo administrator and asked if I could have a job. And at first he said no. And then he phoned me back a couple of weeks later and said, yeah, I could come and work for three days of work, uh, three days a week and still fight bulls. And so that's how I got started uh, on the administration side and, and working for the CPRA. And I think 2010 or 11. And then in 2013, I gave away a kidney for my mom and, and that ended my rodeo career officially. And so then I was pretty much full time from then on with the CPRA and then came over to the Calgary Stampede four years ago. That uh, that week you gave your mom your kidney, we were at that convention rodeo on like the 20th of August and you gave it to her like three days later, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was the 28th. Well, I shouldn't say I think it was my birthday. So the 28th of August is when I gave the kidney up. And yeah, my last time fighting bulls was, um, yeah, I think Calgary Stampede convention rodeo around the 20th of August. Yeah. A couple of years more with the CPRA before I went over to the Calgary Stampede. Yeah. So you said you went to the Cal- went to Calgary in 2014? 2015. 15. Yep. In the winter time, you were a contractor for a year, weren't you? Yep. I got hired on a contract uh, for the first year that I worked for the Stampede. Very cool. What do you like most about working for the Stampede? Obviously, my passion is in producing rodeo and producing events and and uh, putting on shows. But you know, the Calgary Stampede is a is such a historic organization, and and just the people that are involved, whether it's the volunteers or the people that have worked there. You know, some of them have been involved for. 50 plus years and some of the staff have been there for 30 plus years and so it's pretty I would say humbling to work for such an organization and such an honor to be there with such a tradition and you know the Calgary Stampede has always been one of my favorite rodeos but also one of my favorite places so it's pretty cool to call it my job and drive in every day and see the grandstand and the infield and know that's where I work so you know I mean the people probably there are are some of the most professional and and uh some of the greatest people that you'll ever get a chance to work with when when is the stampede gonna give out a check for more than a hundred thousand on sunday (laughs) (laughs) i would i would love to be able to tell you that one ted um i mean we're always (laughs) thinking and and looking at different ways to um increase the uh prize money i would say or to uh you know change the experience for our rodeo competitors and our chuck wagon uh, competitors, we actually increased the prize money, not the the, the final one hundred thousand dollar payout, but the total day money for chuck wagons by one hundred sixty five thousand dollars this year. So we are improving and always looking at and and always looking at ways to increase and and just to you know help our contestants when they show up and show them uh, that we appreciate them taking time out of their busy schedule to come and compete at the Calgary Stampede. And so whether that's monetary or non-monetary, we want to be able to reward them for being there. What, what do you think the next step would be? You guys said you said you're planning five and ten years out. Is there a plan to, to add more day, day money to the rodeo or is it like a bigger show up check or like what would what would the next step be? Trucks. Yeah. And there there's <laughs> I mean, there is a plan. There's there's plans in place uh, with the plans are usually contingent on obviously funding. So you know, we're no different than any other business. We have to raise that money and find that money. And, and that's not always the easiest thing to do, especially not with the economy the way that it's been. And, and it is, I mean, the, the economy is turning around. 
around, but again, it's about sustainability. So that's why the plan is a long-term plan. We don't plan to increase the prize money for the rodeo for one year and then the economy goes the opposite direction and we have to take it back down. So what we, whatever we do, it's going to be well thought out and whatever that looks like will be for the long-term. Well, the, the next thing I'm thinking is what your definition of cowboy shit is. We need to get to that too. Is that what you guys ask? Every guest. Every guest. Every guest. Yeah. Um, And everybody better be good. Everybody has a different one. Because that's kind of like what people say to each other now, right? Like when they do a good bull ride or something. My definition of cowboy shit. I don't know. I told you that was a bad name to have for your. Yeah, you were against it. Well, still against it. It's not your fashion. (laughs) Hater. Hater. Uh, I'm. Whatever. I I would say, in my (laughs) definition, is just the embodiment of, of. being a cowboy and, and, uh, you know, when you do something and somebody, you know, says, Oh, that's cowboy shit right there. It's, I think it's gotta be like what, what it is to be a cowboy and, and whether that's, you know, being, uh, tough as nails or, um, you know, being able to ride a rank bull or a bronc or whatever it might be, throw a big old steer down or, but I mean, just being a cowboy or like, waking up and and embodying the tradition of what it means to be a good neighbor be a good friend and uh to mean what you say and say what you mean and and uh that kind of stuff right and i think there's still the odd guy out there that embodies that and lives by the mantra of what it is to be a real cowboy so i think you see some of those guys around and and they're the real cowboy shit you know i mean everybody can toss a rope on a steer once in a while or whatever and pretend but there's not many guys left in the world that are real cowboys and it's still pretty cool when you run across one like a J.P. Mooney or somebody like that. <laughs> it's kind of different for for us and for a lot of guys now. Like I talked to Nick Tetz earlier today, and he's one of the top rookies in the PBR this year and in Pro Rodeo Canada. And he lives in Calgary. He lives over by Heritage Park by the Ranchmans. He's a hockey me. player. Yeah, hockey player. I think it's cool that we have guys like yourself. You run Calgary. You live in you live in Bonas. Like you live in town. It's kind of different. Like I run the website and Wacy lives at the house and like we're in downtown Calgary, you know, like it's like Nick lives in town and I just think it's interesting that we can still do cowboy shit sometimes. But I think being a cowboy, it, like I say, it's, it's, it it is actually by the way that you live your life and, and, and who you are. It's not where you live or, you know, maybe what you're wearing every day or whatever it might be, but it's actually the definition of a of a personality type more than it is anything else, right? So I grew up on a farm and lived that lifestyle. I mean, it's convenient for me and not as hard to drive from out of town and go to work, but it doesn't mean that I don't think of myself as a, as a cowboy in, in the sense of the word and the lifestyle of it as opposed to the geographical location of where I live or the appearance that I have every day or whatever it might be. Luckily enough for me, uh, unfortunately enough, my, my, my work, uh, uniform is a, uh, Western wear. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, there's some cowboys and, and there's always been guys that are cowboys that have grown up in the city and, you know, look at Marty Wood and different guys like that that are, I mean, they're real cowboys. There's no there's no doubt about it. But Connor Hamilton, there's another guy that grew up in the Hamptons, right? So <laughs> it's pretty cool. Pretty good you, bareback. Pretty, pretty cool when you see that, though. And, yeah. and again, uh, 
you know, it, it's like they embodied that lifestyle and they, they want to be a cowboy and, and so they are, right? It's neat to see that. It's cool to see somebody transform from a city person into a to a cowboy. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say one of my craziest stories, and it's not that crazy, but it's one of my favorite Greg Kessler stories. So I fought bulls for the Kesslers for 10 years. And so there's, I mean, there's a lot of stories that you can get from being around the uh, the Kesslers and, and their rodeos and speaking to cowboys, definitely hanging out with that outfit. You see some pretty awesome stuff. But yeah, one year we were in Grimshaw and only two bull riders showed up for the perf. So Dwayne was talking to me before the rodeo and he said you got a choice you can either ride a bull or freestyle bullfight one after the rodeo and i said well what bull would i have to fight there's not any here that i'd really want to have to do that with and he had this big black one up horn one down horn bull at a monkey bars called back at you and he said well you can fight that bull and i thought like there's no way on earth that i need to be doing that so i jokingly said oh i'd rather ride one so the end of the rodeo i go to walk out of the arena and he says where are you going (laughs) well i'm going home i guess i don't know fought my two bulls and yeah i'm good to go he said no 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 you gotta ride this bull (laughs) (laughs) and uh so the bull was tailspin actually pretty decent bull bucked uh bucked off jason finkbinder the few days prior in uh high prairie and cody hancock uh, a couple days before that in medicine hat and but he wasn't mean or anything because you were the only bullfighter so you're gonna have to fight well scott scott way and myself were the bullfighters and so so scott didn't have to do anything no no well he had to bullfight for me oh (laughs) but you didn't have to fight a bull though no how did he get off so easy? Well, just wait. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Max Fortmuller, I think I had Max Fortmuller's rope, and uh, I was getting on. And now, this time, I'm starting to really shit my pants because I'm wearing my bullfighting gear. Like, I still have <laughs> my baggy pants, clown makeup on, and yeah. cleats, and the whole works. And so I go to get on, and all of a sudden, Greg, who's flanking, he says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I thought, like, Greg, he's going to be the voice of reason here, right? <laughs> He says, you can't ride him without a glove. Hands me his uh, flanking, his work glove. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'm Max Fortmuller's rope. No spurs, no helmet, no nothing. Like cleats. Yep. And like just after the rodeo. uh, And just like a, yeah, a leather work glove, flanking glove. (laughs) No tape. No, no, no. And so, yeah, he came out, spun, uh, I think, away from my hand. And I made it a couple of rounds and thought, geez, like, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make her, at least for a ways. And so I was, and then I just, no outside uh, grip and the old feet. And he started spinning across the arena and down in the well I went and hung up. and Hung up with the work Yeah, while. so oh, no. I don't remember if Scott had to get me out or not. I don't think he did, but my hand came out and the glove was still on the bull's back <laughs> bucking around and then it came off way out and if anybody's ever been to Grimshaw it's like big arena Huge so arena. then I had to go out and get Greg's glove and the and the rope and yeah so but you know all in the name of uh putting on a show right yeah oh man so that was that was probably one of my most interesting days of bullfighting anyways now that we're telling stories that are crazy crazy moment Fred Beckcher hung a foot in the rope to shiver and shake at Armstrong one year. Oh when my I was God. Bulls there. That was absolutely insane. Cause that was probably easily one, if not one of the top five meanest bulls that I ever fought. So that was, that was nuts. That was an incredible, uh, experience to Dang. be involved in. Talk about Winston for a while. I want to get your thoughts on Winston. I know you guys were good, 
good friends. Winston was one of my idols. I mean, of course, one of my heroes. But, I mean, I grew up with Winston. My dad fought bulls for him, and so I knew him all my life. And just an amazing man. And uh, probably one of the most uh, interesting but also thoughtful people in probably rodeo has ever had the way that he thought about the business of rodeo and the way he thought about producing rodeo and then of course his foresight in breeding horses and making calgary stampede born to buck program what it is today like there there wouldn't be one without winston bruce so pretty amazing the things and the impact that he left on the sport and just every sense of uh what he did but when I wrote Steers at the Calgary Stampede, my story is Winston was asking me. Of course, Winston always liked to visit with everybody. It didn't matter who you were. And we were having a pretty good visit after the rodeo. And he said, well, what are you going to do after you done riding Steers? And I said, well, I'm probably just going to take your job. So it's funny because that's... Because you, you did. Yeah, well, <laughs> I didn't take his job, but I ended up with his job. So yeah. it's pretty cool. That's a pretty neat story to be able to say that I get to do the job that Winston Bruce did. So Oh, yeah. You know, but I mean, Winston really, I mean, he was an innovator and he kind of paved the way in, in, in a lot of ways in rodeo production as well. Like he's, you know, he's one of the first guys to actually think about it like a show and to make it into uh, a proper production, right? So, um, hmm. and everything Winston did, we always had lots of conversations, but everything he did was was for the, the people sitting in the stands. That's hmm. the only thing that he ever thought about and how it could wow. be better. So hmm. that's the only, that's kind of one of the biggest things that I took away from, you know, my time with Winston was to think about everything in that abstract and, and think about it as if you're sitting in the stands and not as if you're sitting, uh, you know, on the buck and shoots. So I sent you a list that I've been working on for a while with the top bull riders ever from Canada. Oh we, yeah. That's a tough list. I haven't released it yet. Yeah. But I want to visit about that a little bit and what your thoughts are, because I'm going to put it out here sometime soon. Top bull riders ever from Canada. And why? Well, I will say this right off the get-go, and anybody that knows me knows this, that Robert Bowers is my all-time favorite bull rider um, and Canadian bull rider, obviously. But uh, Robert, I mean think about the things that guy did and most of the time with some sort of injury and could ride bulls with both hands making the nfr pbr finals canadian finals canadian champion i mean he did it all right so he'd be my first all-time favorite um if we're just listing favorites i don't know about best obviously there's some <laughs> guys that have had some major accomplishments and yeah and done some great things in bull riding I, I would say my next one would be, uh, I could list off all the Johansons, but definitely Dale Johansson would be my next favorite because, uh, I mean, you know, he, he, he actually had some ma major accomplishments in multiple times as well, more than one Canadian championship, more than one Calgary Stampede championship after it was the 50,000 and made the NFR and did, did a lot of really good things in bull riding and just had a cool career really like he's a hall of famer and and uh the whole family's awesome guys and awesome bull riders but dale's probably one of my favorites okay i think we better call this interview good thanks for having us at the well, house yeah thanks for coming to the thanks for coming to the basement yeah appreciate it it's been good it's been a good time we'll see you guys on wednesday <laughs> Yeah. See you at work. Yeah, see you at work. See you at work on Wednesday. <laughs> just, another, just another day at the Calgary Stampede. Exactly. Well, that's been episode 18 of Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wasey. And Keenan. And Keenan. <laughs>
co-host of the show this week. Co-hosting. Yeah, made from it his all the way through. Made us come to his basement. It's a good thing we know him. Like, <laughs> some random guy like, hey, <laughs> do you guys want to come do this in my basement? <laughs> it get kind of weird. To be fair, you didn't know we were going to go to the basement. That's true. And it's a nice basement. It's, it's a like beautiful a, basement. It is. A, a homey basement. Kitchenette. Don't get any ideas, Wacey. This is it's a little nicer than my basement, but <laughs> looking yeah. for a roommate. 